I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. Turning woodworkers into knitters since 2007. Here are your hosts, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 448 for October 8th, 2018. And on today's show, we're talking about a couple of uh, really interesting things, like sliding dovetails, the Greg Klass, Klass, Klassen debacle. Is that how you say his name? Anyone know? Klassen? Anyway, drilling one and a half inch mm-hmm. holes is the third topic and uh, we do have a few folks to thank for supporting our show supporting this nonsense helping us keep it going that's Robert Sphere William Segrist so thank you so much and hey you know what if you want to help us out too you can go to patreon.com slash woodtalk and we have a couple different uh, support levels there it's just a recurring donation with a fancy dress on that's what I like to look at it as Uh, and you get you know stickers and higher levels i think you can get like a t-shirt it's pretty cool so go check it out patreon.com slash wood talk and i think we'll just get right into the the meat and potatoes of the show here what's on the bench and i'll go first so i'm i'm working on the the alcove cabinets i'm kind of kind of done with plywood uh it was fun it was fun (laughs) for a while (laughs) and um you know after like the 12th sheet of plywood working its way into my shop i'm kind of ready to move on to a solid wood project but that said all of this new uh, organization is just, oh, it's fantastic. Drawers for Ugh. everything. So many drawers, guys. Like, I'm thinking about, I, I actually am short on drawers, on, like, uh, bedroom drawers for clothing. Thinking about maybe storing some of my clothes out in the shop, because I've got extra room. <laughs> I think that well. nice. Yeah, I mean, use it for something. Uh, so the alcove cabinets are coming along, but I did have to take a little bit of a break, because we had a, a road trip. This is why we also missed a show last week, just my poor planning. I I forgot Mm -hmm. to even tell these guys that we were going on a little road trip for a family event. So I was in Missouri for a few days, uh, but now I'm back at it, trying to get things together. And once again, playing with some plywood. So hopefully this misery will be over soon. (laughs) That's really about it. Plywood is misery. You heard it here. Well, it can be. I mean, 
Uh, Matt, you probably touched your first sheet of plywood in years when you made your Alfie table, right? When you had to do the article version. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was probably years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, it can be good. There's aspects of it that are good. For instance, it's pretty much flat. You don't have to surface it. It's ready to go. You just cut it into your shapes. And But there is a certain point where you're just like, enough, enough. I'm so sick of this. I'm sick of the track saw. I'm sick of the, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, edging material and all that stuff. It's just, you know. But that said, is there a quicker way to build a set of cabinets than just chopping up some plywood? Probably not. So it's got its target. Good. Yeah. Cabinage. <laughs> Target cabin cabinage. Hey, let me tell you about cabinage. I'm gonna tell you about this. Okay. Uh oh. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Uh I'm cab- ready. Cabinage <laughs> is a company that makes really good uh prefab RTA cabinets ready to assemble. And they basically have um I guess it's like a patented connection system, but all it really is is this locking joint that's cut on the CNC that is kind of a modified tongue and groove. So the cabinets go together like really, really quickly. Uh, years ago, back in the Arizona shop, I actually had conversations with them and they uh, paid paid for some advertising via product. And a bunch of my cabinets, most of the cabinets that I put in that shop were actually cabinage cabinets. And I thought they were great. They were really nice. They had face frames and everything. It was just really, um, really decent material and not not having to build it myself. When you have that many, basically... In that shop, it was like a kitchen's worth of cabinetry, uh, and I really didn't want to lose that much time dedicating it to that. So it was like, all right, this is fine. Let's let's see how this works out. So everything was good. Now in this shop, fast forward, you know, several years later, I'm I'm putting up some uppers, and I don't feel like building them because I've already built the lowers. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Let me just go see what's going on with my my friends over there at Cabinage. So I went in, placed my order. This was not something, you know, comped or anything. I just placed an order and got a couple of 36 inch wide upper cabinets. And the thing that they don't tell you on the website, and it's not really, it's not clear at all. uh, When you select no face frame, they are not going to leave the front edge of the cabinet alone. They will still cut the profile in that front edge. So they're not making frameless cabinets. They're making face frame cabinets just without the face frame. So in order to accommodate this <laughs> and use this, right? Isn't that a little weird? Like there's nothing that says <laughs> that's great. If you select no face frame, you are still getting a profiled edge. You just need to make your own face frame. So I called and I'm like, dude, why is this? Like, why is there no note on the order form that at least let me, you know, lets me know that I'm going to get profiled front edges. And that's why I was, <laughs> when I was trying to assemble this stuff, I was super confused. Cause I'm like, where is the, the, the clean square front edge? Where's the front? So, uh, so where's the front? <laughs> yeah. So it turns out a lot of the, the companies and you're and here, you know, I'm just an individual doing this. If you were a company that's doing these RTA cabinets, what winds up happening is a lot of times people will order these things separately. So they'll order a whole bunch of cabinets and then they'll do sort of a separate order just for the face frame stock. So this is why when you select no face frame, you're still getting the same cabinet. You're just getting it without the face frame material. Um, but I was like, still, this is really confusing. This kind of sucks. I had to lose about a half inch, maybe, maybe even an inch off of the front edge because I just had to rip <laughs> that off. <laughs> yeah, I had to trim them off. It was either that or buy new ones because I mean, they weren't just going to replace them for free. It's actually a special service that you have to get and you have, you have to call them if you want that. So anyway, it, you why know, didn't you just make a face frame? Cause I wanted frameless cabinets. 
I wanted it. I already uh-huh. had like a bunch of hardware purchased for this thing. Uh, wanted it to match oh, the okay. cabinets, and basically, I wanted a shortcut to making very similar cabinets to what I had for the bottoms, but I wanted them up top, and I already had the hardware. So yeah, it was pretty flipping lame, but it, the cabinets are up. It's done. Uh, but that's just something to be aware of, you know, when you're doing these ready to assemble things like that. A lot of times it's business to business. They have a lot of the same repeat customers, I'm sure, who all know this little mm-hmm. trick. <laughs> but stupid, you know, Mark doesn't know this as he's placing his order trying to save time. Uh, so I lost, you know, a little bit of depth on those cabinets, but it's not the end of the world. But you save time. I did save time. There is that. <laughs> <laughs> lost depth but save time save time spend a little money uh so yeah it's pretty cool so you know i'd be curious to hear anyone else's experience with uh ready to assemble cabinets like that because they can be good i mean it, it's a good technology it's it's a time saver uh, depending on what you're trying to do so you know let us know if you have experience with it what's what's the pricing like on those just to give us an idea uh, like compared to like oh. like if i go buy a nice sheet of ply what's well, 100 bucks for a sheet of ply with it then i have to cut up and like join together and spend my time making a box yeah, keep talking because I'm going to look up my order. Oh, okay. That's all I had. <laughs> oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's see. I had... I'm really... Um, like, if I think about doing a kitchen, I'm like, well, like, if this is like maybe even like twice the material cost, like, it's not worth making all those boxes myself if it's right. only like... See, that, that's... Yeah, twice I mean, the especially cost, something like a kitchen because the kitchen's all about the doors and the face frames. Yep. Yeah. Like, who cares about the box? Yeah, and you're securing you know, it's, it's it to the wall. It's low-quality, C-grade plywood. You yep, know? exactly. Well, here's... That's, that's the other thing with this. A lot of the their cabinets are um, half-inch stock, which if you're you know putting these together, you're attaching them to the wall, it's fine. It works just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we build them ourselves, typically, you know, we're going with three quarters. That's what I did for my lowers. So they were basically a uh, hundred... $102 each cabinet, but it's a 36-inch wide cabinet with an adjustable shelf, um, about 32 inches in height. So just over 100 bucks. So that, that's... So... And I had three of hmm. these. I ordered three, and this is with shipping. Of course, shipping's the killer on stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So three 36-inch cabinets ready to go. Literally took me about a half an hour to assemble all three and maybe 10 minutes to put them up on the wall. 500 bucks out the door. So what was that like a sheet and a half of plywood <laughs> for 500 bucks or how much material? Well, I don't know. To yeah, make how much material know. would that be? You think? I don't know. A I sheet and a half, two sheets, something like that. Uh, several sheets. 32 and 30. What was the depth? Uh, about well, uh, depth, depth is uh, 12 inches and uh, 30, 30, 32 high, 36 wide. Yeah. Right. So you're going to end up with, you're going to end up with that nasty, like off cut. That you can't use. Exactly. Yeah. 32 and 32, you're going to have that one foot off cut. You're going to lose. <laughs> that sucks yeah. right there. But that, Nothing that, so, you can do with that off cut. But you could see like the cost benefit analysis here for, you know, hey, I had already done all the lowers. I'm just kind of sick of the plywood. I just need the storage and I need it to be done. 500 bucks delivered and installed. And of, of well, course, well, it's like, but for a guy sheets? like me that doesn't have a truck, you know, moving plywood is not an easy thing for me. Sure, yeah, <laughs> I could true. get it all day long at work, but I can't get it home. <laughs> right. Problem. Yeah. Right. And I mean, well, two sheets of plywood in like half a day in the shop or a day in the shop or something for so like what, like 200 bucks essentially. Well, and it's, I, I don't know how it would work out. We'd have to, to lay it all out, but it's gotta be more than two sheets. 
I mean, for, for three 36 okay. inch wide cabinets, you know, plus the adjustable shelves, the backs, you're going to need uh, at least quarter inch stock for the back. Preferably, oh, that's true too. preferably half well, inch. You can get four, four pieces, you know, they're 12 inches deep and maybe, maybe you can get four pieces. It depends on the size of your curve, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, across. And then you're going to have that like one foot by four foot off cut that you can't use. At the top of the sheet. That's, the carcass for one cabinet, yep. right? And yep. then you have shelf. So I suppose you could use that offcut piece for your shelf. It would be cross grain. The face would be cross grain, but that's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could get a cabinet. Is there a back? There is a back. And that's, yeah. that's the same thickness material, quarter yep. inch material. Yep, or? it's half. So we're talking really one sheet per cabinet. <laughs> right. Um, so $65, $70 for a decent, I mean, you, if you pay less than for sheet of plywood, it's going to be a lot more labor time because yeah. it's going to suck. Also, <laughs> it's going to potato chip and have voids and the edge is going to tear up on you. And yeah, so 70 bucks, I would say for a decent piece of shop grade plywood, Yep, hundred bucks if you wanted a good hardwood plywood. And one more detail, you know, a nice space on it. Um, interior is pre-finished. Oh, oh. Okay. Right. Done. So a done deal. I'm <laughs> telling you. So it sounds crazy. Look kind of woodworker doesn't build his own cabinets. And it's like, well, the one who wants to be building other things is the one who doesn't yeah. do that. Yeah. So, so actually, yeah, that's right. You couldn't because of the back, you couldn't get, you need more than a sheet per cabinet mm-hmm. um, to get that backer in there. And yeah. then, you know, you've got. And the labor, the let's not screws. forget the labor. I mean, our time is not free, I guess, depending on what you do, it might yeah. be, but uh, so anyway, screws to put it together or something or joinery or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's fact of the matter is, is that making cabinets are not hard when you're set up to make cabinets all the time. I mean, they're not hard when you're not set up. It's just time consuming. But like, if you're batching out cabinets, it's super fast. So like, if you had a lot of cabinets to do, mm-hmm. you could probably make the case for, it'd be better to make it myself. Like if you were doing a kitchen's worth of cabinets, yeah, you know, and if you are using the table saw and you've got everything set up, or if you've got like an MFT or something like that, oh my God, breaking down plywood is just a dream with something like that. But like for me in my shop, <laughs> Right. Forget yeah. about the whole hand tool thing. I mean, I ha- I do have a track saw specifically for plywood, but I mean, just moving it around and then setting the track in place. I mean, it would just be a freaking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It would not, I would not be able to do a kitchen's worth of cabinets, just the carcasses in a weekend for me. That just, yeah. it wouldn't work. Wow. Then getting your it home. Shop, like, where do you put them once they're assembled? That's well, the other thing too. too. Yeah. <laughs> Taking up tons of space. You better hope it's nice outside. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Right. Well, and it better be because I've got to spray finish them too. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's a lot of time to spend on my what's on the bench. Um, Shannon, what do you got going on? <laughs> um, well, actually, since we were just talking about spray finishing, I did get a new tool of sorts just last week. I bought one of those little fishing tents um, because I, I I can't I cannot spray in my shop. There's just not enough ventilation in here, and I don't care water-based or not the stuff just ends up everywhere you know whether it's a whether it's a um, lung health issue or just not getting finish all over my stuff um, i just have to spray outside and there has just been like no good day for weather it seems like this year it's like it'll be (laughs) sunny and then it'll rain like a couple days later or Mm -hmm. or a couple hours later or then it's humidity so high that everything's blushing when you're applying finish and everything so i've 
I, one of them popped up. It was, it was one of those instances where like Siri or Alexa or Chrome was just listening and like the ad pops up in the sidebar and you're like, I was just talking about that. Yeah. One of those creeped out Very web suspicious. marketing moments. Right. <laughs> right. But it popped up in the sidebar from Rockler and I was looking at this thing and it's like $35 for hmm. basically a tent, like a, a floorless <laughs> tent. Um, and I was like, that's awesome. Like, you know, I mean, I'd seen him before, but I never really paid attention and it folds up just like it would into a stuff sack, just like you would a tent. Um, but I bought like the full size deal. It's like seven feet long. Um, it's like five feet tall or whatever. And like the whole front rolls back and you could basically, I have a, I have like this little table that I put a, um, lazy Susan hardware on Mm -hmm. for dealing with smaller projects and stuff. But I could also put like your typical console table or something, you know, a smaller piece of furniture in there. Um, and it's awesome. Like you can set the whole thing up, put the whole piece of furniture in there. And because of the lazy Susan dealy, I can spin it around. Although I, I probably could, wouldn't be that hard without the lazy Susan just to spin the thing around. I can spray or wipe on or brush on or whatever. And then you like drop the little netting deal and it's out of the direct sun, which is the other thing that gets me is because you know, my, my driveway where I'm going to be doing this stuff. I mean, it's in direct sunlight. So if you're using something like, you know, lacquer or shellac, it's drying out of the gun, you know, or drying, you make one pass with a rag and it's dry. And if you pass it over again, you've like screwed up the finish. So having that shade and everything, Oh, it was, it was just awesome. So granted I have yet to apply a finish on something cause I just got the thing, but still I'm kind of excited because it, dramatically expands when I can do some finishing. I no longer have to have the perfect day in order to go out in the driveway and finish. You know, if it's, you know, a little overcast and maybe chance of rain later, it's no big deal because mm-hmm. I've got the little tent over it. So I'm kind of excited nice. about that. That's pretty cool. So I add a finishing room. <laughs> does it actually, I mean, you got an overspray concern as well too. I mean, obviously it's containing it, sure. but that can also be part of the problem if it contains all that overspray and just kind of drops back into the finish. Right. Well, I mean, I think there will certainly be a maximum size of project that you could put in there. You sure. know, if you don't have enough elbow room around the project, it's going to bounce off things. But yeah. <clears throat> I mean, literally your your bedside table, console table, um, a chair would fit in there with so much room around it that you wouldn't mm-hmm. have to worry about it. I couldn't do like a, you know, a six foot long dining table in there because it would just fit the inside of the the, the tent. And I think front to back dimensions are about 50 inches i want to say okay so i mean there's a there's a fair amount of space in there so to the point where i hadn't really thought of overspray being an issue if i'm getting overspray i need to (laughs) change some settings on the gun whoa back off the air pressure buddy (laughs) but (laughs) it was you know i'm dealing with that that 20 stage turbine thing that you were talking about from Fuji that like blows <laughs> 20, holes 20 stage. <laughs> yeah. it's when I, when I mix the sandblaster with the HVLP up, yeah, like, yeah. Don't! <laughs> I'm removing wood. Wait, I'm removing the project. So no, I don't know that it'd be that much of a problem. Um, and if I did have a big, big project like that anyway, um, you know, that's when you just have to like give up the shop and mm-hmm. just open the doors and get some fans running and get the air circulating. But I always hate that because I can do nothing, nothing yeah. in my shop, shop is while closed down on the table. Right. You know, I can't make dust. Don't move. Like, don't don't, don't <laughs> stir up anything. <laughs> so, yeah, it's especially if you're talking like an oil finish, it's mm-hmm. just the shop is out of commission for like four days. Sure. So. Sure. Um, but cool, other than man. that, I've been 
doing very little woodworking because I'm having to do all kinds of web work. Um, I, I opened the unfortunate can of worms of just doing kind of a site assessment on the hand tool school and realizing I need to do some re-architecture. It's been about two and a half years since I did a site redesign. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Uh, it's, 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 it's fine. It's just, it's one of those things where the technology and some of the tools and the software have gotten better in the intervening years. And yeah. like, if I want to implement something new, well, I probably should just go back to the studs on this over here. Well, if I'm going to rip that out, I might as well just go ahead and implement new <laughs> software. Here. Ah, it's just a mess. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, the 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 fun the fun side of the online content world is, you know, you got to keep your website design up to date and make sure that it's all fun SEO compliant and all that great stuff. Who so, needs a website anyway? That's what I, I know. Just do everything on Instagram. Instagram and YouTube. Fad. Yeah, seriously. In fact, I'm just going to trademark the word website. And just live off the royalties. Okay. He's hinting. Foreshadowing. He's foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yes. We'll get, we'll get to something there a little bit later. Uh, Matt, let's, let's, what's going on in your shop? Oh, nothing. I'm just finishing up the sideboard with the finished stuff. You know, that stuff we put on wood to make it look nice and pretty. Liquid plastic. That stuff. That liquid plastic stuff. Yeah. I'm um, with, I'm the sideboard being a you know, frame panel and everything, it's got a lot of parts, a lot of inside corners. So I am pre finishing the entire case. So that way, when I do the glue up, it's all done and finished, and I can get the doors and drawers uh, built and installed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Pre-finishing in that case makes a lot of sense because I would it would be terrible doing any kind of a hand applied finish on something like that. That's like yeah. spray finish or bust, <laughs> right? Because good, good luck. That's one of those things. This, many- this stage, you put that investment in, it take like you slow to a crawl for a couple of days, but then suddenly everything is together and done. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Take all the clamps and it's done. Yeah. Like, well, I figured, that's the case. I figured you done. would just crawl inside the sideboard and finish it inside. Mm-hmm. I could do that, I guess. That good seems way, like yeah. a, good way a to, lot of work, but, you kill know. Kill some brain cells. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know what you need. <laughs> Don't need them anyway. You need a Rockler tent. <sighs> yeah. Everything will be fine. Yeah, a big one. <laughs> like a circus tent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, that's cool. Good, good, good that's on you. That's about it. Good on you. Move um, on. So let's move on to, uh, you know, what Shannon foreshadowed. The what's new segment today is a trademark issue that came up and this kind of blew up on Instagram primarily. Uh, so you guys know the river table, right? It's the uh, the one with the glass going down the middle. Um, specifically, we're talking about the one that's kind of the blue tinted glass. So it actually looks like a body of water. That design was later kind of co-opted and become, you know, sort of part of the working vocabulary of the world of epoxy and slabs in that you are using epoxy now. So you basically put the two slabs together, run the epoxy river through the middle, and now you've got an epoxy river table. And it's an interesting development because this is something that has almost become, maybe not almost, it probably is at this point, a category of furniture. Uh, So, you know, it's not just an expressive style so much as, I am interested in river tables. Let me go to this furniture maker. Oh, they have a button that says river tables. Here's the kind of river tables they make. So it's become this big thing. And suddenly now in 2018, the guy who, and guys, correct me if my history is wrong on this, um, but the gentleman's name is Greg Klassen, and he was the guy who can be credited for popularizing the river table made with glass. If if I recall correctly, Matt and I probably, and this is Matt Vanderlist, probably discussed this table 
the first time we saw a video or pictures of it uh, on Wood Talk, an early Wood Talk. And it was Greg Klassen's table at that time. So he may not be the person who invented it. Uh, a lot of people, the funny thing when you read comments, and oh boy, <laughs> oh boy, with these comments, folks. Uh, there's just it was entertaining and sad at the same time. Let's just say some people are uh, dipping a little too deep into the epoxy. I think it's <laughs> it's, rotten. it's rotten their brains. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so basically, you got people who are, who are like, my grandfather did something. It reminds me of my uh, my stepdad, and and I've heard many people say this. How many people's uncles or grandfathers invented Rocky Road ice cream? Right. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that like uh, my, my grandfather invented that and it's like well okay so that's what you're hearing is my uncle my grandfather so and so made a river table in 1970 so the whole point is this guy may not have invented it but I, I think it's pretty safe to say that he popularized it he made the internet aware of river tables would you guys agree with that yeah, or you see, it, to be see the good consensus out there. Okay, I suppose sure. <laughs> You're just going to go along with it. It's fine. Uh, now, if you look at this guy's library of content or not content uh, uh, products, he basically has create. You know, this I believe is how he makes his living on a whole river collection. Uh, so he's not only got the river tables, but he's got other things that he makes uh, that are sort of building upon this theme. So he has trademarked the word river with reference to tables and other pieces of either furniture or accessories, things like that. So that's where the big stink is because now anybody who is trying to sell a river table has to contend. Thank you. My lovely secretary just brought me a coffee. <laughs> oh, she's also my wife. So pretty lucky there. Oh, oh all right. Well, <laughs> dual purpose company policy. I that don't is. know. I know. That's an HR violation. Right it there. might be. I looked at her butt on the way out. Is that okay? Um, oh, yeah. Hubba, hubba. Okay, so uh, so he trademarked River. And now people who make these River tables, not just like, you know, goofballs like us who made one or two. There are companies now who this is a line of furniture that they produce. And people Google this River table. They're not allowed if this all goes through and everything works out, uh, they would not be allowed to use the word river. So this is creating a, a obvious problem for people. So I guess, you know, we haven't discussed this as a group yet. Um, in reality, who care? What, what, what was that? Oh, someone's getting excited. <laughs> Shannon, Shannon can't handle it was himself. A, it was a, it was a piece of maple rivering and water falling off the, so that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the three of us don't really have a, you know, a dog in this fight, you know, if you will. Clue. Well, and, and well, that's true. We don't have a clue. So, uh, <laughs> you know, take, take what we say with a grain of salt, because really we're going to be no better than the crazy commenters, uh, just kind of speculating on this stuff here. But I don't know, maybe you might be interested in, uh, in our, our take on this. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm not that bothered by it. Uh, mostly. And I don't, again, I don't have a, a stake in this. It's not something that affects me uh, with, with the exception of, of a project that Matt did in the guild. And it's, hey, it's the water, that guy. that guy, Matt, the waterfall river table, right? So we had to, um, I sort of proactively made the change so that there's no reference to the word river because I don't want to deal with this crap. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't think the project sales depend on it and, and I'm fine without it, but I don't think we're the people he would, you know, we're not the top tier that, 
uh, someone who just trademarked the word river is going to be concerned about. I think he's mostly concerned about other makers who are making competitive products uh, with the products that he makes. And ours is a educational material. So I'm not really bothered by it. I feel like someone who popularizes something like that does have some right to follow through with this process and go through the trademark process and get that done. I do have a little bit of an issue on a sort of ethical uh, level about waiting until 2018 to do that. Um, part of the problem is it reminds me of like, you remember the, the, the guy who was like a patent troll dude who owned, um, I guess he owned the trademark to podcast and Adam Carolla had to fight that. Do you remember that whole thing? So it's like, here's a person who waits until the word podcast actually becomes synonymous with an industry of, you know, tons of people who are now making a living on this and then they want to cash out on it. Now I'm not saying that's what Greg is doing, but to do that now in 2018, Hasn't this train left the station, man? Like, if you were going to clamp down on this, maybe you wanted to do it a little bit sooner. Uh, And and now all these companies are, you know, probably freaking out a little bit and deciding if they want to fight this or not. It's really put people in a very tough position. So I do have an ethical issue with that. But legally, I feel like, well, you know what? I never heard of a river table until I saw his table. So he's not saying he invented it. He's saying the word river as associated with this table design was popularized by him and he was the first person to trademark it or at least make the attempt. I don't think the trademark is fully registered yet. So, you know, I'm sort of of two minds with this. So I'm going to, I want to go to Matt first because he's married to a lawyer, which means he knows a lot about this, right? (laughs) Uh, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but I woke up next to one this morning. (laughs) Hey, speaking of HR violations. All right. (laughs) So I am curious. We haven't discussed this yet. I am curious what your thoughts are on this. Um, I have pretty similar thoughts to you, I guess. I have no problem with him registering that because that's his right as a business to go ahead and use the legal system to protect his interests. Now, I think where people kind of lose touch with reality is the fact that just because he registered it doesn't mean that it's not uncontested. Mm -hmm. So what I see a lot of people out there freaking out about it, but they really what they should be doing is taking their own legal action against this. Because if it actually gets, if this trademark actually is held up, in court, then it's his forever. But I don't think it'd be all that hard for people to contest, especially if people have been making their tables for a while. And if you're impacted, your business itself is reliant on making these tables and your business is highly impacted by this. I think it's probably in your best interest to take some kind of action against it. And I, one of the, like the side things that I find really kind of, uh, it's sad, but kind of humorous at the same time. I know Mark always talks about, how you don't want to have your business reliant on someone else's. Mm -hmm. There are so many people that are like, my Etsy account was shut down and now I can't sell anything. (laughs) Right. I'm like, I, why would you have your whole business reliant on Etsy? Right. Like (laughs) if that account goes down, now you can't sell anything anymore and you've lost your entire storefront. That seems like a bad business thing. In fact, my mind granted, I don't sell any of that stuff, but that's a side tangent thing. But I, I do think it's kind of weird he waited this long, but yeah. at the same time, I can understand because he probably didn't think it was going to explode the way it did, but maybe like even two years ago would have been a good time to do it. I think it was pretty, it was pretty obvious several years ago, but I think it, like even if he did it last year, I probably would have said the same thing that the train left the station like this. This is already out and done. 
it just it does seem yeah. like an odd move to have waited this long. Well, here's the other thing too: is that for him, because he's the the holder of that mark, it's his duty to protect it. Yep. So that sounds like a terrible life for him and all his legal fees. <laughs> that is going to. I mean, suck. he's going to have to raise. He better raise the prices on those tables because he's going to be sending out cease and desist letters left and right constantly. Mm-hmm. And if people actually respond and say no, then you're going to court. Right. Yeah, so, and, right. And, and if you don't, what's the point? Like, if you don't go to court and you don't enforce it, then you know it's just a piece of paper saying I have this trademark. Whoop de doo, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, the whole point. And the fact that defend it. I don't think that this design is particularly timeless. I feel like it's actually kind of already run its course. The, so the, it's is like, the, are you saying the river is run dry now? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> The, the epoxy has cured and flowing no longer. So, uh, you know, coming in at this 11th hour and saying, okay, now I'm going to trademark this. I just, while you guys were talking, I just did a little bit of data research um, through one of my high fluent marketing tools. Uh-huh. And like the total global search volume for river table and any related, like semantically related terms, according to Google rank brain, it's like 400 people a month. Mm. Um, it's, it's not, not I mean, it's nothing to be sneezed at for a small, for a small business, right? 400 people a month. But again, what, what kind of, you know, convergent rate are you looking at? Very low, probably. Um, there's really not a lot. The name is what I'm going for. Like to, to own that particular name, like what Mark was saying earlier, it didn't really impact the sales. If you called it something else, it wouldn't really impact the sales. So I'm just wondering, what does this even do? Like, how is this even helping him to to do this? Yeah, that's Other a good question. Other than just, look at me, here's my flag in the sand, I own this. You know, okay, right. that's cool, good for you. Well, yeah, <laughs> so, and I mean, I, I don't know. a point of clarification for people and a complete misunderstanding of what this, what this actually could mean for people if it all goes through. Um, a lot of folks are like, well, they're, they're, they're sort of reacting in a way that says people can't build these things anymore. And that's not at all the case. No, people right. are more than welcome. In fact, I read the letter that, that Klassen had been, I guess, sent out to people or made a public statement about this. He's not right. telling you you can't build these things. He's not, he's not what people are thinking of as copywriting some kind of design or something. That's not what he's doing at all. People can build them and sell them. He's not saying that. He's just saying you can't call it a river table without having some kind of arrangement with him, I guess. Um, so it, it isn't that people, these companies who rely on this for their livelihood, they can still build and sell them. What they have trouble with is, I guess, whatever that 400 people a month that you're talking about there, Shannon, those people will theoretically only be able to find, or if everything goes the way Greg would want it, they would only find his stuff if they're searching for river. But the question right. is in this market, I mean, what, what do we know? We don't build and sell these things. I don't know how much these things really are selling. Is this, is it one of those things that seems like it's more popular than it is because of who we follow on Instagram? You know, it's clearly, right. it's a popular thing amongst makers and woodworkers, but is it truly that popular of a design for people purchasing and putting them in their homes? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know. To me, just from a design kind of student perspective, looking at designs over history, it's just not I don't think it's going to hold, frankly. It's it's almost too specific. So mm-hmm. it'll become dated, I think, over time. And I could be totally wrong. I'm certainly no design shaman, but 
you know, just look at history. You know, the the stuff that hangs around tends to be a little bit more vanilla. I hate to use that word because it's got negative connotations, but shaker furniture yeah. hung around and is hanging around for a long time because of its rather, you know, unobtrusive manner. It'll fit into any architecture, any type of interior design. Now, the river table certainly could be is is better than some other things. You know, it's not Art Deco or something like that, but <laughs> it's just not one of those things. Eventually, it's going to be like, ah, I'm tired of that thing. Move it out of here and let's get whatever the latest and greatest looking, mm-hmm. you know, CNC created thing, you know, and, and, and you're right. I think because we have the, the little bubble that we're in, you know, in Instagram world and things like that, you, you see it all the time. But if you were to go talk to someone else and then maybe another in interest area of yours, they'd be like, what now? Right. <laughs> oh yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, uh, that's pretty, I've never seen one of those before. So, I mean, and that probably is more the market that, that he is concerned about. These are the people that want to buy his table. He doesn't care about the people who are actually, you know, certainly the people who are making it for themselves or making that one instance. That's not, you know, who he's going after at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Just well, this, this whole thing. And, and I don't know, I'm just not a litigious person in the slightest. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, I guess I probably would be had I ever been like on the wrong side of it. Like somebody, you know, took my rights away or maybe, I don't know, but I just, I look at it and go, what is this really going to do for your business? Is it going to generate more revenue for you because you own the trademark on river? I just I just don't see that. And Matt's point, I think, is the most salient one is now you got to defend it. (laughs) Sucker. (laughs) Now now you're in trouble, man, because now it's up to you to be river cop from now on. And that just sounds awful. (laughs) The river cop. (laughs) Yeah. Coming to theaters this Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, and I think I think you touched on something, you know, that's really important here is is this a fad, you know? And I think anything that comes on strong and 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 fast like that did has a very high potential to become a fad, and especially once epoxy became part of it. I cannot imagine in 10 years yeah, and I've mentioned this before on uh, Instagram, referring to these the, the river tables and the epoxy pouring as kind of like the mullet of woodworking. Um, it, it feels like, it feels like one of those things that 10 years from now, you know, kind of, what are some of those furniture things? Like, um, oh, what was it in the seventies? Appliances were all that avocado green color. Oh yeah. And when have you seen an avocado green other than if someone's doing it, you know, ironically, uh, you're, you're just not going to see that anymore. It feels like, you know, bell bottoms. It feels like one of those things that's going to have. I mean, it may have a resurgence again in the future. It may there may be an ebb and flow to it, but I don't know that this is something that's going to be around for that long anyway. So businesses who have sprung up specializing in something like this, this is the lion's share of what they do. I got to wonder where they're going to be in a few years. You know, anyway, with with the with the way fads tend to go, if if we can safely say that it, it is a fad, and we're just speculating on that, anyways. So, all right, anybody have anything else to add? I think that's about. All I can manage to say about this. <laughs> I'm good. I think that's, that's uh, about it. Uh, yeah. Should be fun. Actually, I think it's going to be fun watching the comments and everything for the next, I don't know, few weeks or whatever until someone decides to do something and put that up publicly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But and at the same time, just in like the last three days, don't you feel like it's seriously died off? Like oh, nobody it was, cares anymore. Oh, the it was rage. crazy the, big. 
Yeah, the rage is over. Oh, and the thing is, we're recording this a little ahead of the time of the release. So by the time this show releases, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember right. that thing happened. <laughs> you know, like People are like, come on, guys. Are you still talking about this? this will come, we never talked about it before. Look, all of, the, all of the rage is the typical internet rage that happens. It's basically people raging on behalf of other people. The only people who will be concerned about this by the time this show is published are the people who are actually affected by it. And that's pretty much how it should be. <laughs> like if it's really a problem for you, uh, then you have a right to to rage and defend yourself and, and, and take care of this, uh, you know, legally. It sucks, but that's the way it's going to need to be done. Well, it's interesting. I think about this too. On a like on, on a side note, is like a lot of people making these river tables professionally as businesses are not even located in the U.S. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So, what Canada or like way overseas? A lot of people are in Canada. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people so are the, uh, the bigger makers doesn't are in apply Canada. to them. Then does it? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That would be my understanding of it, unless he registered it in other countries, which I don't believe he did. So I'm pretty sure just in the U.S. <laughs> wow. Like I said, sucker. <laughs> now you got to deal with it. All I can say is how innocent and cute is the woodworking world? That like this, oh, right? <laughs> this is the first time that, and look, things like this have happened before. Um, but in the woodworking world, this is like, this is the big news. But in, like in any other, <laughs> any other industry, things like trademark, copyright, cease and desist, this stuff just is like the daily course of business. <laughs> you know? yeah. For us, it's like, oh my God, what's going on? Oh, it's good. I love it. Okay, so should we move on? Think? <laughs> oh, hey, one other thing. One other thing before we move on. A comment that I keep seeing repeatedly are people who are like, can you imagine if Maloof or Nakashima did this? Where would we be? Well, I got news for you. They did. They did. They did. <laughs> the thing was, Instagram wasn't around for us to go and, oh. and, and complain about it. This stuff did happen, and I could tell you from personal experience and a uh, story that's firsthand information about something that happened with a maker of rockers who was basically forced to change the title of his DVD because it referenced the word Maloof. And one of the catch 22s of stuff like this, and this is why I've had people come to my page where we have the sculpted rocker and say, you know, it's really kind of crappy that you don't say anything about Maloof. It's clearly Maloof inspired. <laughs> Here's the problem. No, now I have to delete your comment. Yeah, if you <laughs> say you Maloof, Maloof and I say Maloof, I'm now selling a product based on Maloof's name. And guess what's going to get the attention of their lawyers doing just that <laughs> thing? 
So this stuff doesn't work the way everyone thinks it does, or a lot of people think it does. And people like Nakashima and Sam Maloof were not out there just going, everybody, take my designs, make money, love woodworking. Like it, That's not how the world works. These people take were- my potential customers. Yeah, I don't, I don't need them. money, money, stupid. Like, that's not how it went down. It's just that we don't have internet history of it. And the people who were impacted dealt with it and moved on and no one knows anything about it other than like old timers who, who have firsthand knowledge. So anyway. like Mark, old timers like Mark, old timers like me. Or it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> got to have, have a selfie in front of your food and the trademark you yes. know, application or award, you <laughs> yeah. know, in order for it to have happened. Oh my gosh. I don't think we're going to have enough time to get to everything in this show. Uh, all right. That's so let's, fine. End it now. Okay. Show's over. We're done. Uh, let's get to what we can. Um, kickback here from Brandon Marshall. He says, if you want a real good, honest tool review, and we talked about uh, tool reviews in a past show, uh, you should check out Workshop Review. They do a great job at a non-biased review and run a tool review each month. Uh, let's see. They were recently featured on the MWA podcast and have great charisma with the show. I should know. I'm one of the hosts. Ha ha. Um, so let's see, Brian McCauley is also part of this and, uh, he says it's a fun and good old review. And, uh, so yeah, I go look for them on YouTube. I think that it's not a podcast. It's a a YouTube video series. Um, and they have a few up there and you could check it out. They, uh, supposedly give honest reviews, but how would you know? Would you know it wasn't honest? I don't know, but they seem like nice people. So I guess it's fine. You just never know. You're you poking holes and things now. I'm re- that's that's where we're at at this point. That's what this show has devolved into. Uh, <laughs> All right, Matt. Why yeah, don't you grab devolved the next one? Is the the upper word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next one is from Ted. It says regarding honest tool reviews. As someone who scours for insight when purchasing even small items, I focus on consensus around features to consider for whatever item, and then I compare reviews of those features from different sources. If a particular reviewer doesn't comment on those features, I will move on. This is something uh, This is something you all do well and why you're very credible in my book. Sweet. You break down the features, highlights, create creature comforts and functionality required, and state your observations on what you actually use it for and what you would use it for, not generic good or bad. This allows the person to understand the framework of things to consider and then make an informed decision based on budget and required options. Keep up the great work and don't stop doing reviews. Don't stop doing <laughs> reviews. Doing reviews. All right. It just makes me tired listening to like all the work he puts into scouring reviews. I'm tired now. It does seem like a lot of work, doesn't it? Wow. Well, you got to do what you got to wow. do, even for the small <clears throat> things. All right. Well, speaking of making you tired, Bill... <laughs> He makes a lot of dowels. <laughs> Clearly, Bill is. He's making got a kickback on our on our how to make dowels question. He says, "I have a weird fascination with dowels, so I spent some effort making them." And here are my thoughts: making dowels with, in order of amount spent, the Veritas dowel maker at four hundred dollars probably works as well as the next item, but I'm not willing to spend that much. So, did he spend that much in order to make it? Hmm. It says it works as well as the next item, but I'm not willing to spend that much. That sounds like an uninformed review. Oh, yeah. Bill. Call the review cops. Bill the Dow man. Their, their office up. is next to the river cop. Yeah. <laughs> river cop, then review cop. 
<laughs> Actually, probably should be review cop river cop in alphabetical order. Anyway, the Veritas tapered tenon cutters at 4650. These are awesome, but you can only do one size. I did a four and three eighths inch dowel without much of a problem. Make the guide ra- make the guide rail as per the instructions with the product. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I suppose I have a couple of those. I found the guide rail to be annoying. Um, <laughs> That's just me. Um, a router table with a cove bit, $40 router bit, with a question mark, $40 router bit. Mm-hmm. Not my thing. Fix sizes, and I'd be afraid the wood would rotate while routing on the last pass. Scary. Router with a bullnose bit, $40 router bit, and a homemade jig. I made a fancy version of this, and I don't use it. <laughs> it can only do the five some sizes that it's set up for, and it's fussy to set up. I can do the next option in the same amount of time with no router setup. So the next option is a block of wood and a wide chisel jig. Free! I've had really good success with this and I can make any size. Two things to keep in mind is that the jig wears out and it's easy to initially set up. So when I make one uh, when I need it and I chuck it when I'm, I'm done. So there you go. He's actually got a, a link to um, the dowel or that jig he's talking about. So cool. I find it interesting like he didn't mention like just a dowel plate, like yeah. the Lee Nielsen dowel plate. The one, the one we your own about. dowel plate. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I, and honestly, I don't remember, I could look it up, but I don't remember what that costs. I bought mine like, like 10 years 50, ago. 50 bucks. That's what there. I would say. It was, it was two figures somewhere in there, right? And that's <laughs> like the simplest thing ever. You know, you take a block of wood and yeah, maybe use a chisel or, or I sometimes will use my like old fashioned, um, pencil sharpener just to kind of point the end so that it mm-hmm. goes into the hole and then just pound it through the hole. Oh. That makes great dowels. Great I stress relief. Yeah, to I make, was going to say it's very yeah, therapeutic. I mean, oh, it's fantastic. If you need to make like a 10 inch long dowel for some reason, that can be a bit of a problem. But yeah, um, yeah that anyway, it's just interesting. That's kind of a glaring omission from his, uh, his um, lineup here. So Bill, you're wrong. Oh, Bill. <laughs> Dang it. <All> right. <laughs> Okay, let's get into our voicemails here. We've got one uh, from Matt on Dust Collection. Hey guys, Matt from New York. I have a question about Dust Collection. Last year, I upgraded my shop to a fully ducted Dust Collection system. I went with a Harbor Freight 2 horsepower motor and equipped it with the Oneida Dust Deputy Cyclone. I know most people either run a 4-inch or a 6-inch main pipe, but the Cyclone only has a 5-inch inlet. And after I did some research, I found out that it was best not to use a reducer to go in either direction for a 4-inch or a 6-inch for a proper airflow. So uh, I would have liked to have used PVC for the nice price tag that comes along with that, but I couldn't find any 5-inch PVC. So I wound up going with Oneida's 5-inch metal ducting, but then I was really taken back by the price of the metal blast gates and the metal fittings. So I wound up Frankensteining the whole thing and went with plastic fittings and blast gates <laughs> along with the metal ductwork. <laughs> so it was really hard to get a good seal between the metal and the plastic using foil tape. I'm pretty sure I've got a bunch of leaks at the joints. Um, suction at my tools is pretty much non-existent, especially at the table saw, which is the longest run, about 25 feet before the drop. So I was just wondering if you had any solutions, what I should do. Should I swap out the metal and do PVC just with the reducer? Should I spend the money and get metal fittings? Um, is there a good way to seal the joints with maybe silicone or something? Um, or should I just even get a better dust collection unit? I feel like I've seen a lot of people with the Harbor Freight 
unit that I've got, and they seem to have had pretty good success with it, so I had high hopes for it. But um, anything you can let me know, I'd really appreciate all the advice. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you, when you're a parent of young kids and you hear another parent of young kids with those noises, it really screws with my head because I know the kids are at school, but I hear that stuff and I'm like, what? what is Eva doing home already? Yeah, really messes, messes with your head. Uh, so you guys have any thoughts on this? I have a few. Go for it. Okay. First of all, I want to see a picture of this setup because that sounds hilarious. Yeah, very Frankenstein. <laughs> the, the mixed piping and everything. Um, if you need to seal up the fittings, you can use um, – I actually have duct sealant, which is what I use on mine. It's like a, it's a – you buy it in like a cock tube and you squirt it wherever, smear it around, and it's all good to go. Uh, what I will say about like the size of the, the unit and the run you have, it's probably not like not going to be enough. Like that, that collector is not going to be able to pull – sufficient airflow through that system 25 feet before the drop uh, depending on if, if it's totally straight or if it any, has any curves or bends in it at all depending on how you set up the Harford unit with that Oneida collector if you actually mounted the impeller on top of the thing or you have it like sitting next to it you're going to have that flexo as it goes up and down and has more <laughs> bends in it so you're going to lose some efficiency there going from my little like single stage collector to the three horse unit it's incredible how underpowered, like even like a, a, that was a horse and three quarters. So basically the same thing. It's, it wasn't enough to pull enough airflow through my six inch ducting to the table saw. And then when I finally got like a three horse, I'm like, this is actually the size that needs to be in my shop. Something that powerful to be able to pull. I think it was, I measured at 400 cubic feet at the, the table saw. And then the the old one I had was pulling about 200, which is not even close to being enough. And I was like, well, I'm living with it. This is probably about as good as it gets. But until you like actually get like a real collector in there that's actually like pulling the right amount of airflow, mm-hmm. you're like, wow, <laughs> what the heck was I doing all Big these difference. years? <laughs> this is this. So this is what it's supposed to be like. Oh, yeah, this is much better. Yeah. So I mean, obviously the cost is going to be significantly higher, but. I think if you're looking to do something that's more appropriately sized in the future, plan your ductwork system now so you don't have to reinvest in a whole new dust collection fitting setup thing at all. Um, because if you look at like obviously you look at the price of fittings and dust collection stuff, you'll probably spend at least as much on the fittings as you do on the collector because that stuff is not cheap. Oh, it's ridiculous. So if you don't have to buy it once, you don't have to install it once. That's the other thing too. It takes time to install that stuff too. Yeah. So you think about it like that. So if you can future-proof things, so that you know that okay, this is not exactly perfect for what I have right now, but at least I have something going on right now. I have some airflow coming through my system, and then one day when I have the money, I can just plop in a bigger unit, and everything will be good to go. Make it a little more hot swappable. That's uh, that's my my opinion on that one. I guess I, I would agree. Plan for the collector you want, not the collector you have. There you go. Right. More elegantly put. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you pop, once he invests in all that stuff, just make sure you're investing in the right size, you know? So depending on the, the kind of collector you're eventually going to go to, um, what was his main run? Five inch. Yeah. Five. So that may not be the best option. You may want something. I mean, if you're going for something that's a little bit more, uh, you know, a serious collector, you may be looking at six, seven, eight inch on the, the inlet on that thing. So that is something to look at. And each one of those fittings, like if you don't have the right size, then you do have to rebuy those. So really what Matt said is, is 
definitely the way to go. Strategize based on where you're headed, not where you are today. And in the meantime, band-aid every solution you can just to get through it so you don't have to invest more money. You know, just get it done. Uh, all right, so I'm going to just move on. So uh, in the interest of time, get to the next one here. Uh, looks like about... Yeah, just assume I have nothing to add on that. <laughs> yeah. Get your dustpan out. <laughs> it's a safe bet. Yeah. All right, so Mike's got a, a comment about miter saws. Hey, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. This is Mike from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, Mark, I've been listening to this fine educational podcast since episode one. That's right, Mark. Episode one. Whoa. Anyways, I'm going to help beat this uh, miter saw fence dead horse a little more. Um, It's nice to see you guys finally catching up to the curve. I've been uh, woodworking since high school and have never had a fence on my miter saw. Never once. Didn't miss it. Didn't know it was necessary. Uh, anyways, thanks for not quitting and uh, keep up the good work. All right. Well, here's the thing. But I, he's only 18, so. That's right. <laughs> for the last six, six years. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't invent this. Like, this is not my idea. I'm like the Greg Klassen of the miter saw fences, right? Oh, boy. That's, okay. <laughs> We're doing that now. Okay. I didn't invent it. I that, just, I just, that's going to last longer than outrage over the trademark. It might. The, yeah. Oh, the meme and the ensuing jokes <laughs> yes. will last much longer. Exactly. Like I didn't invent this concept of no miter saw fence. I may just be the person with the loudest megaphone that said it. Popularized. I didn't, it. I didn't class in that. What are you talking yeah, about? Don't, don't class in me, bro. All right. Okay. <laughs> and there's, there's the title of the show for today. <laughs> Okay, so we got another miter saw fence comment. Greetings, Mart, Manon, and Shaq. This is Jeff from Florida, longtime caller, first-time listener. I just wanted to open up the discussion about fences on a miter station once again and state for the record that while I agree a fence on the miter station is unnecessary, I have contemplated adding one to my workbench as a means to keep my bench dogs from running away. I currently have them tethered, but the SPCA believes this isn't humane. Anyways, just my two cents. Let me know what you guys think. And of course, the obligatory. Glad you guys didn't quit. (laughs) All right. Got to keep those dogs penned. I thought that was going somewhere serious at first. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I was like, fence on your workbench. This could be interesting. Yeah. All right. So uh, Devin called in and uh, he finally caught up. Hi, guys. It's Devin from Southwest Kansas. I really thought about doing something funny like, it's Roberto. We're saying I'm Tommaso, which, Shannon's right, is a fun name to say. But honestly, I feel like I'm out of grape soda. I've listened to every episode, and you guys have answered my question, so I can't ask a woodworking question. The only thing I can come up with would be, if Vanderlis all of a sudden had a job where he could come back, would you guys go to four-person, or would he just be out of luck? Well, I'm off to register. Cremona does wood. Have a good one, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that, Devin. This is, uh, I forgot about this voicemail. It came in like a couple weeks ago, but um, that's a great question. Yeah. And I would actually have to say that Matt um, Vanderlist uh, would probably, he'd be the new host. So see ya. See ya, Cremona. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> you got other things me. to well, do, right? You have to worry about. Um, honestly, I think he might be out of luck. And part of the reason is I think a four person format 
tends to be a little tricky to balance. I don't know that uh, I've listened to lots of podcasts and anytime there's four people, it tends to be a little bit more difficult to listen to. There's, there's just too many voices, too many opinions. And sometimes we have enough trouble fitting the three of us. I should say the two of us, Matt's definitely not, uh, he, he doesn't, uh, consume that much of the talking time. Uh, it's usually me hey, and, and Shannon. I'm more to the point than Shannon. That's you know? true. You're more concise. <laughs> you are definitely more concise. Or most people. So. Yeah, ours <laughs> pretty low there. But uh, uh. it would it would be it would be difficult if he came back and actually asked to do it, which I don't think he would. Uh, but I, I don't know that we have room for the fourth person. I just don't know that that would really work out very well. Do you guys feel differently about that? I think we have to do like a rotating. See, but rotating thing. sucks because then it's like, oh, is it my turn oh, this week? It, we, I mean, I didn't say it doesn't suck. Yeah, it would. It I would was, definitely that's suck. Like probably the only way it would work. Yeah, but I, I don't know. No, I don't like to. I'd, if, I'd be willing to give it a try for a few shows, just to, just for the fun of it. The periodic guest, <laughs> but, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It, he would. He would be like a segment. Matt would have his. <laughs> yeah, be the Vanderlist <laughs> segment. It would be like Tom's tips. Uh, that's how there, we do it. There we you bring go. Have the, uh, how about the router bit of the month? Pre-record. Here we go. That Let's would be perfect. Out of it of the month. Yeah, yeah. It's tricky. I, I just think our format is good. I wouldn't really want to, you know, if it's not broken, let's not try to fix it, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, we we've always had that open invitation to Matt if you wanted to uh, come back and and do a special guest uh, show or a segment or something like that. So, but it's all imaginary because he's still doing his job. Okay, so we got to sure. let's get through the rest of these. We got actually four more. Computer dust questions from Lee Patrick Drummond. Hi guys. Thank you for providing some woodworking content that I can consume while actually in the shop doing woodworking. So I had a question. I'm about to move my shop from the small part of the basement to the big part of the basement. And in there, my, uh, currently my computer is also in there with a good desk collection system set up and a ambient, uh, air dust filter, how much dust do you think would be likely to get on the computer in the opposite side of the room from the actual workshop? Um, I can also set up a you know drape around the computer, but that will only do so much. Um, let me know. Thanks. <laughs> so I got a message from Shannon going, isn't this supposed, this voicemail supposed to be on the second show? Yes, Shannon. <laughs> You are correct, my friend. <laughs> so, so you have to uh, wait till next week to hear our answer. Yeah, cliffhanger. Black out? Are we? <laughs> I'm on a roll here, man. I'm just clicking, clicking, clicking. Okay, let's answer Devin's question, or uh, not Devin, uh, Lee. Lee, I think is his name. Let's answer his question, and we'll uh, save the rest for the next show. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, in his situation, I think he'll be fine. I think you still want to blow out that dust periodically whenever you can think of it. Uh, just because any accumulated dust on electronics is bad. So just being in that environment, it's going to have some dust no matter what you do. Uh, I think he's probably best case scenario. I think it'll it'll be okay because he's got collection and ambient air cleaning going on. Um, my personal experience with this, I have never had a computer like just poop out because of the dust situation. Uh, my computers have always been okay. The one thing I have noticed and it's been two now, two different monitor slash television. That has been the thing that has gone on me. It always turns out to be like the HDMI cable 
Like if, if the, almost like the fitting is just going or something where it cuts out once in a while. And I don't know if it's direct. I mean, I only can blame the dust because it's uh you know, the correlation I'm seeing here. So I have killed two monitors with dust in the shop, but nothing else. The computers seem to be fine. Um, just the monitor. So what, what kind of experience you guys had with this? Exactly the same. Computers have been totally fine, but I've been through two monitors oh, really? slash TVs really? now. Okay, so really? there might yeah. be something to that. Ah, yeah. I'm selling the same one from like four or five years ago. Really? Okay. Well, I mean, and I, and I think a lot of it is probably, well, like the computer. Well, now I, I use... I use a laptop, so I'm not keeping the computer in the in the shop. I'm moving it around. Yeah. Um, but prior to that, the computer, the the CPU was actually inside a cabinet, whereas my TV is just exposed to any dust. And frankly, I'm not up there like I can't. Well, I can reach it, I suppose, but it's it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. It's in the corner, mounted up near the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like blowing it out or doing any maintenance or anything like that. Not that I was you know, with the computer, but again, because the computer was enclosed inside a cabinet, um, it ended up not getting the brunt of the dust. I just think the the TV and the the monitors are much more exposed to it. And there's probably something to be said about the, the inner guts of the, of the monitor. Yeah. I, don't know. I know well, nothing I think, about, um, I know nothing about the hardware, but they almost always I had think- the, the ventilation, um, grill, or at least part of the ventilation right. system on the top, which means that dust right. is just kind of free to settle down in there. It's the only thing I figured. I just kind of figured it was just, just par for the course. Like I had to just deal with it, you know, and thank well, goodness they've gotten cheaper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. TVs are like dirt cheap, but I usually wind up um, reserving an old monitor, something that just kind of was passed down from other things in the house that we care about. And just at the point where it's like, okay, maybe, maybe we'll do a garage sale at some point. It's one of those monitors. It's not like I'm going out to uh, Best Buy. They still have Best Buys. Yeah, <laughs> I don't go to I don't go on Amazon and buy a new TV for the shop. Uh, it's usually a you know the cheapest thing I could find. Okay, let's move on here. Um, so, by the way, if you want to leave us a voicemail, uh, use the voice memo app on your mobile device and send that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com and we will answer your question. So let's rip through these emails real quick here. Uh, Alan wrote in, he says, I'm a new woodworker. I've got a pretty good handle on all the basic joinery except sliding dovetails. I've seen people make them with and without tapers. At what length do you have to implement a taper to get it to fit? And is there any way to make tapered sliding sliding dovetails without using calculus or a router table? All right, so I don't know exactly what length you want to implement this. Um, Pretty much any length, you could do at least some taper and it could very well make your life easier. Um, the problem, if folks don't know, with a sliding dovetail is the way that fit works. By the time you put glue on the joint and you're pressing it together, uh, you know anything more than like an inch is typically going to start to fight you. And you don't necessarily have to do anything uh, until you get to the longer lengths. But you know what that exact number is? I don't know. I'm going to throw out a number. Maybe anything over six inches. You might consider doing uh, the the sliding or um, sorry the tapered version because it will definitely make life easier. You don't have to, but I think it would, you know, it would make, make you happier when you're doing that glue up. Uh, so, you know, if you're doing like a blanket chest, a case, casework, stuff like that, definitely, definitely you're going to want to do it. Now I do use a router table if I'm going to do this tapered method and it's really just the router table shims 
and keeping your head on straight. You don't really have to do much in the way of math. It's just keeping it organized, knowing which end is the one you're tapering and how that works with the slot that you're dropping that piece into. This actually is something that I will be covering in the new book, which comes out in March. So look oh, forward. Plug the book. I'm going to plug the book. It's actually on Amazon. Don't pre-order it there though, because we're going to have a better pre-order deal, but it is actually on Amazon for pre-order now for anyone who wants to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's called, at least the working title is like Essential Joinery or something like that. So I'm going to shoot to Shannon on this a little bit. Clearly, there is a way to do this without a router table. Um, but what very quickly, Shannon, if you could describe what you would use um, to achieve some kind of a, a, what do you call it, taper on a sliding dovetail. Sure. Well, first, I actually agree with you that about six inches is about the, the breaking point. Okay. A through, like, constant whatever thickness with pin works, you know, you can make six inches go together. You start to get beyond that and just, I don't know, it's just more trouble than it's worth. It yeah. starts seizing up on you and you have to make the the tolerance just so tight to make that work, mm-hmm. uh, to make a sliding dovetail work that even without glue, you're just, you're walloping on the thing to get it seated and you end up having to clean up dents on the front of the thing as you're putting it together. So um, six inches has always been my rule of thumb. Um, with, the the hand cut method it's there's certainly no calculus there's no math at all it's it's really um, I use a fence um, I have a, a a board that I've cut a 12 degree angle on one face and I literally just clamp that across the board and I ride a saw up against that that fence so the the saw is canted over at that pin angle that 12 degree angle. Um, and you can make the pen either tapered on both sides or just tapered on one side. You look at a lot of traditional examples of this and you'll see that one side is not tapered. So it's square mm-hmm. across the case. That's usually the bottom side mm-hmm. um, because it's just when it comes to referencing shelf spacing and stuff like that, it tends to be easier to say this is not going to be tapered. This is a flat square surface and I don't have to worry about anything getting you know wonky on me. And then the other wall of the pen is tapered and Literally, I like I go down to the tapered end of the board and I say, okay, let's move in, you know, a half an inch. I'll pick an arbitrary distance and I'll just lay the fence up against it. And at that point, I'll kind of take a look at what is the, the width of the neck, the thin part of that pin going to be. And is it going to be like super skinny there? Okay, maybe I'll bump the fence out a little bit. Maybe I'll only go a sixteenth of an inch. But generally, for most of your typical furniture-sized dovetails, like an eighth of an inch taper is all you need. Mm-hmm. So I will just line the fence up, scoot it in an eighth of an inch on the other end, and then saw it uh, right up against that fence. And now the extents of my um, pen are set, and then it's just a matter of chopping it out using a router plane to remove the waste. Um, the tail... Actually, um, there's all kinds of sliding dovetail planes and regular dovetail planes and things like that. Um, I will saw the shoulders of the the tail first. um, And then on the tapered end, you just kind of saw a little bit deeper. You know, you just, frankly, I lay it out and I saw it on my lines. It's, that's the the overwhelming thing when it comes to hand tool work is there's no math. It's just laying it out and sawing to your lines, working to your lines. Sure. So I saw down that that shoulder, and then I have um, that same fence that has that angle cut into it that I used to saw the pin. I clamped that in a leg vise and use it as a pairing block, and I just pared down um, the uh, tail wall. I guess that's what we would call that. Um, any 
fits together. And ideally the fit should be loose until like the last maybe inch, maybe inch and a half, and it'll start to snug up. And all you're really doing is tapping it in that last inch or so. Um, There can be a little bit of trial and error as you're fitting that tail. Um, But the cool thing is, is with the using the pairing block, if you find that it's still a little too fat, the tail's a little too fat on the tapered end, you just kind of use a mallet and just tap the fence down a little bit and then pair back to that. It's it's a heck of a lot more difficult to describe than it is to do. But needless to say, there is not a single bit of math involved. It's, you know, a lot of kind of gut judgments. Um, The thing that can go wrong is just if you taper too much, you end up with this really anemic tail that's going to be fragile because the, you know, you, you forget about there's that angle. And when it angles down to the the neck part of the, the tail, if it's too thin, it's going to snap. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, Matt, you're up. All right. I forgot to say this is from, so I don't know. I forgot. Anyway, I need to drill an inch and a half hole into end grain of live edge wood to hold a voltive battery operated candle for a Viking joining ceremony. Can you recommend either a technique or a high quality bit to do the job? Have a router with that will take a half inch shaft and drill press. It does not seem to have the horsepower to do this. And of course, hand drills. Uh, so I would, so there's like two kind of things you can think about here, either like using a Forstner bit or using a router with a, like a spiral bit. I, I think it's kind of weird that your drill press doesn't have the horsepower to drill an inch and a half hole. That seems kind of weird. Uh, yeah. Could just be the Forstner bit you're using is just total crap and <laughs> super dull or something. Uh, so you could get a new Forstner bit. And I don't think any drill press would have a problem spitting that thing into uh, end grain like that. The only downside to using a Forstner bit in this instance is you're going to have a little divot at the very bottom of the hole. Whether or not that bothers you is a personal thing. So if you want a a, uh, a flat bottom hole without any kind of divot, you can use a, um, a spiral bit and a guide bushing. You can make yourself a little jig thingy. Well, it would just be a hole, like a round hole in like a piece of MDF or whatever. You can clamp it over top of whatever you're trying to make that hole in, and you can plunge and route out a nice circle in there that happens to be an inch and a half in diameter. But I think you use you'd a be carving gouge. Oh, use yeah. a carving gouge to like, to like carve out that little divot from the Forstner bit, and you'll never even notice it. Like it, there'll be a still, there'll still be a little divot there, but you're mm-hmm. just softening the edges. It'll be more graceful. Yeah. Instead of that stupid <clears throat> pushing jig crap. Well, you're gonna put okay. a can- you're gonna put a candle in there anyway. It's probably not even gonna be seen. Like I said it's a personal right. thing. If that whole, if the little thing bothers you that much, hey, I don't know. Yeah, if it bothers you, get problems. rid of it. <laughs> Sorry, good. I wonder what Just, wood he's using. That like his drill presses. I mean, it's got to be the bit, right? I, I hope so. Well, what I, is the classic <laughs> wood for a Viking joining ceremony candle holder? I mean, there's got to be a classic wood, right? Something drenched in the blood of your enemies. Most likely. <laughs> Any species, as long as it's drenched in the blood of your enemy. Mm-hmm. It's true. Blood so wood. High iron content. Blood wood, for sure. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Shannon, you're up. Okay. This is from Eric. He says, while strapping on my horse butt, I'm never sure how much green compound to lay down beforehand or how often to scrape off the buildup. Please give me some guidance. I've had this question before, and it's funny because... I've never scraped the stuff off my strop. That's, I was waiting to see what you're going to say because I'm like, I don't think that's something. <laughs> like, do, but should I be doing that? <laughs> I've never once done that, well, and I know. really don't apply all that much. 
Um, I, I've seen a lot of people who like have that little green crayon compound thing like nearby. It's like I couldn't even it's in the bottom of a drawer somewhere. I just don't use it all that much. Once you've kind of got the all of the leather covered with the compound, yeah, it will it'll turn black over time because you're getting essentially the 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 swarf, the the metallic particles and things in there. But I have yet to notice any kind of like it doesn't work anymore. Like it's become glazed, if that could even be a word for leather. Um, and I, I suppose you could scrape it off, but I'm not sure how I would do that without damaging the leather itself. So my answer is don't worry about it because it's never once posed a problem. I have a strop that I've been using for six years that I have never scraped anything off of. Um, I think the last time I added compound to it was maybe during a demonstration when somebody talked about what compound to use. And that was like a year ago. So the, the straps just keep working. And if you look at like, like a vintage, if you can find um, a, a carpenter strop, you'll find more barber straps and things. They are just manky looking things that have had manky. centuries. I've been watching a lot of BBC lately. Apparently, <laughs> just manky looking bits of kit that have just like <laughs> centuries of crap ground into them, um, and they still work. I mean, that's the thing. A strop is not like like a, an aggressive uh, abrasive medium, right? I mean, it, I don't know if you could put a grit on it, but it would be in the tens of thousands. You know, it's a 36,000 grit compound. I, I don't know if that even applies. So no, <laughs> I don't scrape it off and I really don't apply all that much. Once it's covered, I'm good to go. It kind of feels like one of those things that it like gets its own patina, if you will. And then once it does, that actually makes it perform better. Yeah, I, I mean- and I suppose that, you know, if you made your own strop, um, they could be cheap enough that if you're really bothered by it, then maybe it's one of those things where you just pitch it and make another one. Yeah. Just buy a oh, horse and, and rub it on a different part of its butt. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Always move to a fresh part of the horse's butt. That's the rule. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, hey, you know what? If you want to leave us a review... You can do that. You can go to iTunes or any other podcast directory that allows you to leave a review and uh, give us a rating there. So I'm going to read one here from Frank and Groovin. Uh, let's see. It's five stars. He says, put me on the show. Seriously, I had no idea that a podcast about woodworking could be good, but I've been furiously listening to this podcast this past summer from the beginning, probably about halfway through now, and I can't wait to hear this review right on the show next year when I get to that episode. <laughs> Each perspective offered brings something unique to the conversation. And even though I started my woodworking journey in 2009 with Mr. The Wood Whisperer, I'm so glad I have now discovered Matt and Shannon and Matt. Great show with great personalities. That's great. I'm always surprised by people who, not, not by people who go to the back catalog, but people who go to the back catalog and do not touch the new shows, like until they get there which is kind of weird. I'm surprised that people who start at the back catalog and actually keep listening <laughs> and make it to the current like, shows. They didn't quit while they, you know, I mean, come on. Glutton for punishment. That's what it is. Uh, okay. So that's that. Uh, Shannon, why don't you give them the contact and phone? We'll get out of here. Don't tell me what to do. Look, don't it's a supersized show. I will do what I want. I'm tired now. Fine. Several ways you can contact us if you even want to. Wait, did you just you say, don't, did you just say don't class in me, bro? <laughs> Yes, I did. I just like I caught that in the back of my mind when I talked over you. But yeah, perfect. Okay, go ahead. Hey, 
It's it's I'm I'm inserting actual oral metadata into the show for the <laughs> yes, search engines. Nice. That's, that's that's the next algorithm coming from Google. Yeah. Anyway, please send us a voicemail. We we love to hear your lovely voices. Use your voice memo app on your smartphone or your dumb phone and send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact, go figure, and leave a comment there or leave a comment on our website or find us on Instagram and all the other socials at woodtalkshow. That is all. Very good. All right, well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Hey, Matt. What's up? So I saw some of the pictures from your sister's wedding and a little bit of yeah. a little confession here. I saw the picture with your sister. I'm like, oh, she's uh, she's quite attractive. And then the second reaction is I see you in her face. And I was just like, oh, oh, yeah, there you go. oh God. Yeah, we're related. <laughs> right? She's kind of attractive. It's like and now I fantasize wait, when I look at that. It's weird because then you see like, you know, your buddy and you go, now there's his feature that just became attractive to me somehow. <laughs> This is really, it really disturbed me for a second. And I had to do a little bit of a, I, I retched, oh, I retched you, a little. You cut your hair a little bit shorter, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Like, exactly the same. Long, luxurious hair. Oh, it was terrible. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.